your Bibles and open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to continue our series in the Faith Chronicles, and uh, we're working through this chapter. Really, uh, the messages are all coming from here because uh, this is the chapter that chronicles the great men and women and their faith, and there's so many important and valuable lessons for you and I to learn as a result. Uh, Last week, I reminded you that uh, faith is more than just a spiritual idea. It's more than a spiritual concept. Uh, we talked about the fact that real faith is a faith that is practiced, it's lived out, it affects our behavior. And this chapter is full of men and women whose behavior validated their faith. You might say they were ruled by faith. And so that's what I want to talk about today, what it means when our lives are ruled by faith. Some of you know the name of Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is a star quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. 2016 was his rookie season, and uh, he got off with a great success. It carried on into 2017. And then in 2018, when the Eagles were having arguably their best season, maybe even in their entire history, uh, he went down with an injury. A backup came in, who, by the way, was a believer, and he led them on, and they won the Super Bowl. But uh, he didn't get to take them to the Super Bowl because of his injury. And we was asked in an interview how he coped with discouragement and with loss. This is what Wentz said. He said, I, I, I handle it only through my faith. Quote, he said, on the field and in everything I do, honestly, my faith in God gives me a bigger picture. So when I'm playing football and it's good, bad, or ugly, I realize I'm not trying to please the fans or the media. Ultimately, I'm just trying to play for the Lord. I love that. It's a great statement because what he's saying is my faith rules everything about my life. The fact is when faith rules your life, it affects everything, doesn't it? Now think about it this way. If faith rules your life, it affects your past, right? The Bible says this. Paul wrote in uh, Corinthians, he said, if any man is in Christ or any person is in Christ, um, old things have passed away. Uh, The fact is, if you are a believer and faith rules your life, then it affects your past. It changes everything about your past. It's all in the past, and we all thank God for that. I, I'm sure all of us could look at our past and say, man, there are so many things, God, that I'm, I, I regret. I'm sorry. Well, the good news is, God says, it's handled. It's handled. When you came to Christ in faith, it affected your past. But not only does it affect your past, guess what? It affects where you are right now. It doesn't just affect who you were. It affects who you are. And because Paul goes on in that same verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and says, if any person is in Christ, the old things have passed away and all things have become new. That means now that you are new in Christ. You have a new value system. You have a new worldview. So you see the world completely different because of Christ. The way you saw the world is not the way you now see the world. In other words, if you are ruled by faith, then who you are right now is affected by that. But you probably guessed it. Not only does it affect who you were, not only does it affect who you are, have you figured out third who it affects? It affects who you become. You see, uh, John writing in 1 John chapter 3 said, Beloved, we are God's children right now. Not eventually, but right now. And he says, and and what we will be has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. You know what he's talking about? He's saying, here's who we are, but here's who we're going to be. And what is that all about? It is about my faith, how my faith in my Savior affects my eternity and my perspective on things. So today what I want to talk about is how our lives uh, are affected when they are ruled by faith. If you're physically able to do so, I invite you to stand with me. We read just a few verses here in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 13. It says this, and I'll come back and give you the context after we read the text. It says, these, and I'll tell you who these are, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Lord, we thank you for your word. Would you right now, Father, uh, would you speak it into our hearts, into our minds? God, would you use it to affect who we are by faith right now in you? Would you, Father, answer our questions? Would you, God, cause our faith to transform our walk? In times of uncertainty, Father, cause our faith to grow as never before. And would you today use your word to move us forward in our faith, to be ruled by faith in Jesus' name? Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. Now, there, this, is a, this section we read, you might say, is an insert. It's almost like a spiritual parenthesis into the storyline. The writer inserts this. In other words, he has some observations he wants to make to us. He, we, we, last week, we talked about, remember Abraham and Sarah? You remember we talked about uh, how God had uh, told them they were going to have a son. She was 99, and he is 100. You, you know, they're old people. God says, I'm going to do a miracle. I'm going to give you a son. And from the son, I'm going to bless you and multiply your seed. You'll be a great nation. Uh, so we studied that. We talked about that. We talked about how they had to embrace what God had, had told them, all right? That's the first part of the story. There's a second part of the story in this book, which we'll look at in the next message in the Faith Chronicles, and it is about the second kind of test of Abraham's faith. You remember, this is now after they have a son named Isaac, and uh, God says, go and offer him. We'll talk about that in a future message, but God, offer him on the altar. So you have the birth, uh, that kind of faith that was required of them, and then you have the test uh, to offer Isaac that kind of faith and sandwiched in between that is this kind of parenthesis. And uh, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is just making some observations before he moves to the next part of this journey that Abraham uh, had by faith. And so he wants to teach us some things. In other words, he's like saying, it's like saying, oh, by the way, let me share some things with you that'll be helpful so that you will get what's, what's uh, the, the, uh, the great truths of what's happening here in the journey of Abraham and the patriarchs. When it uses the, look at verse 13, these all died in faith. Who is the these? The these are the folks we've just been talking about. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, 
and Jacob. These are called patriarchs of the faith. These kind of the, the founding fathers of, of the faith, you know. These were the ones who first trusted God that we really know about outside. Well, Noah, Enoch, and some of those. These are the early ones who God would use to set the pace uh, to, for us to understand what it means to live by faith or to be ruled by faith. That's who the these are. But the principles go beyond just the, uh, the patriarchs. And that's what the writer is trying to say. So let me just show you some things he says about their faith and their journey. It'll help you in your journey. And I want to, let me just give you the two major points on your outlines there that I'm going to talk about today. Now, there's some sub things underneath, but the first thing I'm going to talk about is the rule of faith. What does the rule of faith in our life look like? That's number one. <clears throat> the second thing I'm going to talk about, and I'll wrap the message up with this, is the reward of faith. So the two things, we're going to talk about the rule of faith, and then we're going to talk about the reward of faith, all right? Those are the two big points, all right? Now, <clears throat> Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this. He said, faith sees the invisible, it believes the incredible, and it receives the impossible. That's what happens really when our lives are ruled by faith. We, we see the invisible, as I'll talk about in a minute. We, we believe the incredible and we receive the impossible. Keep that in mind as, we, as I work through uh, today's message. Now, someone has described living by faith, and they've described it this way. This is a good illustration. When, you, when you're ill, you go to the doctor, a doctor whose name you can't pronounce. He gives you a prescription that you cannot read. You take it to a, pharma, a pharmacist that you have never seen. He gives you a medication that you do not understand, and yet you take it. Uh, that's an example of living by faith, isn't it? When faith rules our lives, it means we have come to the place where we trust God above everything else. In other words, let me just say that we come to the place where God doesn't have to convince us that he's trustworthy. We, we come to the place where God doesn't have to prove himself. You see, if, you're, if you have uh, uh, given your life to Christ and then you've given control of your life to him and you're ruled by faith, he doesn't have to prove himself to you. Now, I know a lot of times we meet people in our workplaces and out in the world, in the community, who say things like this. And you've had people saying things like this during this pandemic where, well, where is God when we need him the most? Why has God allowed something like this? And on and on and on it goes. There are a lot of uh, 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 rational explanations. But people say, that if, uh, who is a God like that? I don't fuss at people that don't know God for not understanding God. But here's what I will say to you. You and I aren't in the same position. We're not in the same position. See, God doesn't have to prove himself to us. I'm all for apologetics, by the way. Apologetics is making, it's just a fancy way of saying is defending the faith. I'm all for that. I, I believe the Bible teaches we ought to be able to do that. But you and I, if we are children of God, God doesn't have to prove himself to us. Uh, you, you know, we don't, we don't get up. I'm not going to get up tomorrow morning and say, God, here I am. It's a new day. Uh, uh, prove yourself to me all over again. In fact, the Bible says of Pharisees, a religious people came to Jesus and they said to him, show us a sign. You remember we talked about that last week? If you show us a sign, then we will believe. And Jesus said, because you have to have a sign to believe, no sign will be given to you. 
And, and, and so we don't get up and, and say, or we shouldn't, if our life is ruled by faith, we, we shouldn't get up uh, each day and say, now, God, how are you going to prove to me who you are again? We should get up and say, God, I trust you. There's a, there comes a time in your life where you have to decide that you will either trust God and his word or not. I'm not going to tell you the story. I've told it before on a number of occasions over the years about Billy Graham. When Billy Graham came to that point where he realized that he had to trust God by faith regardless of what anybody else around him said. And do you know that was the springboard from which God would begin to uh, multiply and favor his ministry. There's a point in time in, in our lives where if we're going to be ruled by faith, we have to come to the place where we say, I trust you, God. I, I don't understand you always. Hello? But I trust you. You do not have to prove yourself to me. You do not have to convince me of who you are. The rule of faith gave these patriarchs an unshakable confidence that God would do exactly what he said, listen, even if he did it after they were dead. So let me show you these three observations under this first point there, the, the rule of faith. The first thing I want you to notice is that these patriarchs did not receive their promises. Personally, they, they didn't receive the promises. Verse 13 tells us, having seen them and greeted them from afar, they knew what God had said, but they never received them personally. The word of God, the promises, listen, they don't always come to pass in your lifetime. Sometimes God's going to speak something to you, and you're going to be involved. I'll talk about that in a minute. But God is not going to do it in your lifetime. And they understood that. Note it says, note what it says in verse 13, they saw the promises. That probably means that, that they saw them from a distance uh, was, in fact, uh, God had made known to them uh, exactly what the fulfillment would look like in the future but in knowing that they understood that they wouldn't be a part of the ultimate fulfillment but they would be a part of the process now let me tell you what the rule of faith does it causes us like them to see what our physical eyes can't see they saw it says they saw he's not talking about their physical eyes it's talking about their spiritual eyes. God gave them word, and they understood the word, and God caused them to be able to understand what that word would do and how it would be fulfilled down the road. The rule of faith in your life causes you to be able to see beyond your physical eyes. We've talked a lot about that, but you've got to get that. You've got to get that because the, the Scripture says in several places, we walk by faith and not by sight. They got that, and so they understood that uh, the promise given to them was something they saw, but they knew they would not experience, but they would be involved. And then the, did you note it also said not only did they, they see, but it says they greeted the word or the promise. Did you notice that? They greeted it. What does that mean? Hello, promise, how you doing? That's not what it means. It means that they embraced it. It means that they not only saw it, it's not going to be personally fulfilled to me, but I'm going to be, in the, I'm going to be a part of the process of the promise of God or the Word of God being fulfilled in another generation and another generation, another generation, another generation. And by the way, you're part of the generations in which the promise would be ultimately fulfilled. Because the bloodline would lead to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ would lead to the cross, and the cross would lead to your redemption. And so, uh, so, but they embraced it. They said, wonderful. 
uh, we'll take over. They received it. Now, listen, I told you a minute ago, the rule of faith causes us to see what, uh, what our physical eyes can't see. But let me tell you also, the rule of faith causes us to accept God's timing. They accepted God's timing. Here, here let me give you a, a, a faith fact. That, that's what we'll call it, a faith fact. Sometimes the promises of God or the word uh, of God begins with us. It involves us. And yet it is completed in other times and with other generations. Did y'all get that? So sometimes the word of God comes to you, a promise from God comes to you, and, and you're involved. You received it. But it's going to be fulfilled in another time and with another generation. David is an example of that. You remember what God told David to do? He said, build me a temple. We call it Solomon's temple. But God first told David to build the temple, and then he, and, and he gave David the, the, uh, the blueprints, and he gave David the instruction, and, and he gave David a great deal of wealth to help resource it, but David didn't build it. Because God also said, I want you to initiate it, but Solomon will build it. God said, you're not going to build it. And the reason was, he said, you've got too much blood on your hands from battles and wars that I had called him to, God had called him to, but he said, you, you're not going to build it. Your son will build it. Do you see? He was involved. He received the blueprint. He received the promise. He received the instruction. He received the word of God. But God said, you won't build it. Your son will build it. He resourced it. He was involved. Sometimes you and I are involved. God gives us a promise. He wants us to initiate what's going to have to take place for the Word of God to be fulfilled. And listen, here's what you got to understand. We sometimes confuse. We think if God gives me a promise or a word, that promise is about something for me to experience. Do you realize the promises of God are bigger than you? That's why He'll involve you, but the promise may be something far grander than you. We, we, we so, if we're not careful, we so turn inward. We have ingrown eyeballs. And we say, well, this is all about me and about my satisfaction and everything. I want to tell you the satisfaction, where does satisfaction come from? It comes from obeying God, walking in fellowship, uh, 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 listening to his word, and being involved in the kingdom to whatever extent God wants you to be in. That's where fullness comes. And so sometimes you'll get a promise or a word from God, but God says, I'm going to do that. I'm just not going to do it through you. I'm going to use you to get it there. Make sense? All right, here's a second number B on your outline, another key insight. Okay, so they did not receive the, the promise personally. Uh, look, secondly, they did not relax their pursuit. I love this, verse 13, 14. These all died in faith. Underline that if you take note. And verse 14, it says, they are seeking. That's present. That was present tense in their, uh, their, uh, uh, their time. They were seeking. So here's what this means. It means that they died while holding on to the promise. They were seeking what God had said all the way up to the very end. They had a faith promise that led to a faithful pursuit. So they had the promise, and they lived it. They believed. These all died in faith. That's what it means. They didn't, they didn't waver. They didn't stop believing. Well, I guess I'm dying. I'm going to die now, and I never saw the... No, they had already seen it, remember? And they had been seeking a different kind of answer 
to their promise, their side of the promise. They had a faith promise that led them to a faithful pursuit. And again, he's speaking specifically about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob here, those who died, who died by faith and died in their faith uh, before the promise of God was fulfilled. Now, uh, let me just tell you some good news. <laughs> I spent a lot of time kind of uh, on that idea. I just want to give you some good news. Most of the promises of God that come to you don't require you to die before they're fulfilled. Whew. Right? Most of the promises of God come to us, and now they usually take longer than we want. Hello? But most of the promises or most of the instruction of the Word of God, it doesn't come to us. I'm going to give you this. I just want to encourage you, you're going to die before you ever see it. That is not the pattern generally. But the, that isn't even the point here. The big point is they simply chose to trust God no matter how God chose to fulfill the promise. That's what it means to have your life ruled by faith. It means they didn't relax and they didn't resign. They didn't give up the promise or the pursuit uh, when, it, when it lingered on. And, and you shouldn't either. There are going to be times when you're going to say, God, how long? How long? How long? How long? How long? How long? Listen, I want to tell you, you keep trusting God. God is going to do exactly what he has said he's going to do. We, we often, we get discouraged, don't we, when God doesn't move fast, as fast as our faith, we think he should. And, I, I, and our faith wobbles a little bit because we think, well, God, you ought to, why aren't you moving as fast? I, God, and, and we might even think something like this, God, I could do it faster than you. Did you know Abraham and Sarah thought they could? God, okay, we've got the promise we got to figure this thing out. Sarah, do you know God told, told us that we got to have a son and we got to uh, produce a, a, a nation and generation after generation? How are we going to do this? And Sarah said, got an idea. You take my servant and you let her produce a child. And that child will be the son of, uh, of the promise. And Abraham said, sounds like a good idea. Ishmael was birthed. And now we have a Middle East conflict. Did you know that? We've had a Middle East conflict for for as long as Abraham and Sarah have been around because they tried to help God out. They tried to speed the plan up because the plan didn't make sense. They tried to, to, to speed it up. And listen, the fact is, uh, sometimes if we're not careful, we lose heart. Now, I, you know what? You have to admire one thing about them is they were trying to make it happen for God. But the truth is, we get in a hurry, we get in front of God, and sometimes we get discouraged. We want to quit, we want to give up, we want to stop pursuing God. Why? Because our faith isn't moving fast enough. Faith's rule in our life cannot and must not be determined by our own impatience. A couple of, of additional observations I, I would just make to you here about, uh, about their faith. Their faith wasn't circumstantial. You know what circumstantial faith is. It means whatever my circumstance deliver, uh, uh, um, determined the level of my, my trust or confidence in God. Their faith wasn't uh, a circumstantial. They, they, they referred to themselves. They understood that they were aliens or strangers. Or, uh, they were wanderers living in a foreign land. Now, they're in Cana, right? The promised land. 
but they don't know the promises yet given to Joshua. Uh, this is before Moses and Joshua. They know that God has said, this territory will one day be yours, but they don't know the magnitude of what that means. They, they've just uh, moved there. They are nomads in this uh, foreign land. In fact, the Bible, your translation may say it, uh, they were aliens. You know why? Because they were in a place where they owned nothing. They had no influence. They, 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 uh, they had no authority. All they had was what they had with them. And, and so here they are in a foreign land. They couldn't, they couldn't determine things. They couldn't stake out a claim, all of those kinds of things. They were in a foreign land. I mean, when you think about that, your, your tendency is to say, well, that's limiting, isn't it? I mean, how are you going to become the, uh, the leader of a great nation and, and multitudes and generation after generation and all of these sorts of things? Abraham, you don't own anything but what you got with you. And this is where it's going to happen? Your circumstances have limited the, the, the promise of God. That's what we're, if we're not careful, that's what happens to us. Our circumstances, we say, well, I... I think God has spoken to my heart, or I know God's given me a promise from his word. But my circumstances restrict the ability for that to happen. Only in our mind. Only in our mind. Uh, by the way, do you know why God gives you oftentimes an impossible word or promise? You think about it. Now, let's go back to Abraham and Hagar. They're doing, uh, look, uh, again, they're trying to obey God. They're just doing it the wrong way. Instead of trusting God and the power of God to perform what, what is arguably one of the great miracles of the Scripture, a 99-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man have a son. I mean, do the math on that one, right? And so they want to please God, so they say, well, let's have a... a, a all right. So now, if... If God had said to them, yeah, that's it, Ishmael, hey, you figured it out. You guys are so smart. Then, then what would have happened? Abraham would have said, yeah, God, you know, anything for you. But the implication would be, I did it. We did it. We did it for God. We did it with, with good intention. Why does God sometimes give you an impossible word? Because... He wants you to have to trust him. Because if it's something that only he can do, then only he can get glory from it. But if it's something you can pull off, you can take credit for. Yeah, God told us to have a child. and Thank, thank goodness my wife came up with a great idea. See, then Abraham and Sarah, with good intention, could have taken credit for it, Right? But when God gives you something that only God can, your circumstances, you can't change them and adjust them to make it work. Guess what? Only God can get the glory for it. So we, here we are uh, thousands of years later, and we're saying, gosh, the miracle that God did in Sarah and Abraham. Their faith was also life-altering. I mean, if you think about it, because their faith ruled them, these patriarchs, including uh, Isaac and Jacob, it, their faith altered uh, their decisions. It altered their direction. It, it altered the course of their entire life. It says that they were looking for a, a homeland beyond this life. That's what faith does. It puts our eyes 
on the eternal. It altered their life. It changed their worldview. Faith rule means, listen, it's not okay to settle for the things of this life and this world. You know, one of the great quests in this life, and we've seen God stripping some of that away from us, but one of the great quests in this world is to get comfortable. <sighs> right? And by the way, I'm not, I'm not fussing. I, I don't think that means you ought to, to suffer through life. I, that's not what I'm saying. But here's what we must not be confused about. God's goal is not for us to achieve the best we can achieve in this life, and that be it. And there are many people today, and unfortunately many Christians, who have assumed that the best that they can have in this life is the best that you can have. But that wasn't the case with the patriarchs. They understood, no, no, no. We are not going to settle for the best that this life has to offer. And by the way, God ended up favoring them they became enormously, by worldly standards, successful. But their quest wasn't, that, it wasn't, the quest wasn't, wasn't there. They weren't content to just simply say, the best we can have in this life is the best that is available. No, they were looking for something beyond. They had an eternal perspective. Do you have an eternal perspective? If you do, it'll change the way you see the events of life. Because you'll know this is temporary. This is temporary. Whatever comes is temporary. There may be pain. There may be suffering. There may be disease and difficulty. But these things are temporary. My eyes are on another place. And that's where their eyes were. When faith rules, listen, this world will never be enough. That, that's why even though they had been promised the land that flowed with milk and honey, that wasn't the terminology at the time. That, that was pretty good stuff, by the way. Even though they had been promised that, they were not willing to make that their ultimate homeland. The rule of faith had altered their lives. Does it alter yours? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I would recommend that you either believe God to the fullest or, or not believe at all. I would recommend that you believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There's no logical ground between the two positions. And he said, be, be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the depths of the divine revelation of God because a faith that paddles about the edge of the water pool is poor faith at best and not good for a whole bunch. You see, faith that rules is faith that lasts. Their faith carried them through life and beyond. And that's why they, it is said of them they died. They died in faith. Because faith ruled now, get this, they did not receive the promises personally. They did not relax their pursuit. And then see on your outline, they did not return to their past. This may be my favorite verse in the whole passage. It said, if they had wanted to return from where they had come from, they would have had opportunity to return. Now, let me help you with something. They're not talking about distance. It sounds like it first, doesn't it? They're talking, okay, they came from here and they're over here. So if they wanted to, they could just go back here. That's not the idea that's being conveyed. Here's the idea that's being conveyed. There, back there represented the, the, the world system. 
It, it represented their old agendas. It represented what was important to them when they were back there, when they lived back there. But now they don't live back there. They, they could go back there. They could choose to go back to the old way, to the old world, to the old worldly agenda that they live by. But instead, because of their faith and its rule over their life, not only were they not going back there, they didn't want to go back there. They didn't want to return uh, back there. And they refused to go back, even though they were nomads. The, the rule of faith had caused them to say, we're not going back. One of my favorite songs is by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir that, that is entitled, I Won't Go Back. And it's all about this whole idea. I've been back there. I don't need to go back there. I'm going to go forward. I, I'm going on with God. So why is being ruled by faith so important? Well, because you have an enemy do you know what the Bible says your great enemy is? You say, well, the devil. Well, listen to how the Bible puts it. The Bible says your great enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And do you know what? If you belong to God, let me just tell you something. If you belong to God, the world will always try to uh, pull you back to its allurements. It'll always try to pull you back to a place where you say, gosh, having the world that's what life is about. If, if you're a child of God, it's an enemy. It will try to pull you back to its allurements. But it also says, the Bible also says that you have the enemy of the flesh, your flesh. And if you are a child of God, your flesh will always try to take you back to the old days and the old ways. Your flesh will pull at you. It'll tug at you. You know that. It'll say, oh, I'll go back to to what you, uh, the, the things you used to do. Remember the things you used to do. The flesh will try to tug you back there. I want to tell you, and then the devil, if you're a child of God, will try to take you back into a life of defeat and despair and depression. Keep you down and downcast. Back, back, back is the way of the enemy of your soul. But when you are ruled by faith, the pull is always forward. The pull is always forward. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I forget what is behind, and I press forward to the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Why? He could have said, well, the pull is always backwards, backwards, the world, the flesh, the devil wants to pull me away from God and from uh, trusting God and believing God with the details of my life. But Paul said, I've learned something. And he had been a Christian for 25 years, scholar tell us when he wrote that. He said this, I have decided to leave the past by going forward by faith. So, did you get the rule of faith? That's the rule of faith. But let me close. Let me close with the second matter I mentioned at the beginning of this message, and that is the reward of faith. So that's the rule of faith. What's the reward of faith? One verse, verse 16, look at this. But as it is, they, that is the patriarchs, our example in this case, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed. This is the operative phrase. God is, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They're looking for a city, and because they are ruled by faith, God has prepared a city for them. He's not ashamed to be their God. 
their faith pleased God. And we already discovered in an earlier message in, in this chapter in, in verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please God. Their faith was pleasing to God. And the language of this writer is speaking of their relationship and their identity uh, to God and God's connection to them. When Moses would encounter God on the mountain, you know that story. God, Moses went up and encountered the bush spoke. And do you know what, what Moses asked? He asked this profound question uh, to God as he spoke from the bush. He asked this really profound theological question, a question probably honestly most of us would ask. Who are you? Who are you? Do you know how God identifies himself? You know how God identifies himself? Remember, God is not ashamed to be their God. You remember? And listen, you know how God identified himself? To Moses, who are you? And God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wow. You see, back here, God wasn't ashamed. And when he, that, the language, and Moses says, who are you? He says, this will help you get some perspective. Remember Abraham? I, I, he and I. Re remember Isaac? He belongs to me. Uh, remember Jacob? He belongs. Does that help you have some perspective, Moses? That's who I am. I am their God. God was not ashamed of them. Why? Because of the faith that ruled their life, because of their incredible trust in God and his word. Their lives of faith had so characterized their relationship with God that he was proud to identify as their protector and their provider and their friend. Faith rewards our relationship with God. And I close with this. Faith rewards our relationship two ways. Here it is. First, it rewards our faith with God's pleasure. And it's obvious that their faith pleased God. And their pleasing faith, listen to this, brought the favor of God. Who doesn't want the favor of God? Amen? I mean, we all want the favor of God. But we don't please God with our works. We please him with our faith. And because of their incredible faith, it was pleasing to God. And that is a reward. You say, really? That, that, I want to tell you something. When God is pleased with you, that is a reward. And that brings the favor of God on, on, on our life. And then, secondly, they were rewarded with God's prepared place. They were looking for a city, right? They were looking for another country, and God says, I've got it for you. Their faith would actually reward them with the very thing they most sought after, an eternal city, an eternal place. They sought no permanent possessions here. They regarded themselves again as pilgrims and strangers. And frankly, we should do the same. I didn't tell you to pack up and move somewhere. That's not what I'm saying. We should understand that this life is temporal. And listen to this. The things of this life are all going to burn up one day. I didn't just tell you, get rid of all your things. Just don't live for your things. Because by the way, they can come and go just like that. You see, we live for eternity. In fact, the Bible says that our citizenship is not here. When you came to know Christ, you transferred citizenship. Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
your citizenship. And that's why you're like Abraham. You're a nomad in this land. In fact, you have permission when you leave today to tell someone that you're an alien. Because that's what the Bible says. That you are a stranger in this land. You're just wandering through. And that's good because it means if you grasp that, that you understand that one day we're all going to be gone from here. And one day all that we have accumulated is going to be gone. So we must live with eternal perspective. Does that make sense? And when we do, it changes. It alters our life in this life. And certainly for the next. And God had prepared a place for them. C.S. Lewis had this great line. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And Jesus told his followers in John 14, 1 and 2, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. In one of his books years ago, A.M. Hunter talks about a, a dying man who went to visit his doctor. His doctor was a Christian and had an office in his home. And he, this dying man went to visit his doctor. And while they were having a discussion, the dying man said to his doctor, he said, can you tell me something about heaven? And, and, and the doctor, he, he kind of stumbled around to, to, to find an answer. And then he had his answer. Suddenly he heard his dog outside of his office scratching on the door. And he told this dying man, he said, do you hear that? It's my dog. I left him downstairs, but he has grown impatient and has come up and he hears my voice. He has no notion of what is inside uh, and behind this uh, door that he's scratching. But what he does know is that I'm here. His master is here, and he wants to be with his master. If you grasp that, though you may not completely know what lies behind the door, here's what you can be like the patriarchs were, and that is I'm looking for that prepared place behind the door ultimately. Here's what I do know. I don't know and understand all of that, but I know my master is there, and I want to be where he is. We have a little three-pound terrace I've told you about before, a little Yorkie, three pounds, all her life. She's 10 or 11 years old now. She's an old woman. In doggy years, she's an old woman. But you know, from the get-go, that dog wants to be with us. It doesn't matter where we are. She wants to be with us. If we go outside, she wants to be with us. If we go into uh, 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 the den, she wants to be with us. If I go to a room, she wants to be with us. If Allison goes to a room, she's got to be with one of us. Look, I can say, having had that dog for years, her great desire, her greatest desire, her great contentment is to be with her master. She's fulfilled in that. You know what faith, the rule of faith does? It causes us to desire to be with our master.
I want to ask you this morning. Are you in a relationship by faith with a master? If not, you can be today. I want to invite those who are, are watching us on live stream and television and you here in this audience, I want to invite you for a moment. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, no one's looking about. Do you have a relationship of faith with the Master? You can. It's what Jesus died for. And if you've never put your faith in Him to be your personal Savior, I invite you to do so right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. You can offer from your heart a prayer that goes something like this, Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming into this world and dying for my sins. I know that I am a sinner, and I know that I need you. And right now, I have believed, but I haven't received. I want to change that. By faith, I invite you to come into my life and to be my Savior. And give me a home prepared for me one day. I want to live my life by faith. And give me a home with you eternally. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, I can assure you if you called on him, he heard that. Because the Bible says this, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be, but will be saved. And that's a wonderful step that you've taken. Father, would you speak now in the hearts of people all over who are watching and the hearts of those of us in this room with whatever decision it is that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.